It was uh, March of this past year. Uh, Sheila and I attended a discipleship conference uh, down in St. Clairsville, Ohio. We were thrilled to be a part of that, learned so much. It was just uh, very impactful on, on at least my view of, of ministry and how we go about making disciples. As part of that conference, one of the speakers there was a man named Randy Young, and he was in a, uh, a, a small group, a breakout group, and it was called Making Great Commission Disciples. And I thought, that really sounds neat. But as I got there and, and found out a little more about Randy, I found out he was from Cleveland, Ohio, and, and intrigued me. And I started to hear more as he shared, and I went up to him and said afterwards, I'd love to have you be part of our missions conference. And so I'm going to read to you real quickly just the bio that was in that book about Randy. I hope it's right. If it's not, we can, he can tell you. It says, Randy Young is the founder and director of the Agora Group, a mission ministry that focuses on training pastors around the world, resourcing and mentoring indigenous missionaries among unreached tribes, and mobilizing the next generation to the nations through the fully accredited ministry-driven Agora School for Global Leadership, which is now Agora College, based in Cleveland, Ohio. Did you know we had that resource based right here in Cleveland, Ohio. Randy has been an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God for over 30 years. He and his wife, Becky, have been married at that point 37 years and have raised four world changers who are committed to the global work of God. So would you give a warm friend's welcome this morning to Randy Young. Morning, church. Oh, come on. Good morning. Isn't it great to be in God's house this morning? And hearing the testimony, and Murray Brown and I, and his wife Sue, we hit Cleveland in 1989 together, and we've known each other since that time. His daughter's been with us in the Amazon in the summer uh, with our summer abroad opportunity for high school and college kids. And uh, I just want to say it's great to be worshiping with you today. Becky, my wife, now 39 years of marriage and ministry. Hun, why don't you stand? And uh, we, we love... We love the work of God and what we get to do around the world. It's great to be with Pastor Steve and Sheila and to see the grace of God on this congregation, what God has allowed you to do together over, over, over the decades from Cleveland to the nations. And it's a privilege and it's an honor to be in this pulpit today to share what God has been doing in our lives and what God is doing around the world as well. So let's do this. Let's begin with a question this morning, all right? I want you to picture this in your mind. Imagine something 750,000 miles long. At that length, it would go around the circumference of the earth 30 times and it grows 20 miles longer every day. Got that image? In? Let's get it, all right? 30 times around the earth, 750,000 miles long, 20 miles longer every day. Folks, that is the line of the lost on planet earth today. If we took every person on the planet that's yet to, yet to discover life and love in Jesus Christ, we put them shoulder to shoulder, that line would go around the earth 30 times. It grows 20 miles longer every day. And in this season of life and ministry, Becky and I have one passion, one goal, and it's to shorten that line. How about you? Come on, folks. Isn't that why we're still on the planet today? It's to shorten the line of the lost on planet earth. And we've dreamed a lot of ministry dreams over the years. We've, we've had the privilege of doing so many things for God, but in this stage of life, we have one dream, and that's simply this, that languages currently spoken on earth will be heard in heaven in worship for the first time. That's it. 
that languages currently spoken on earth that are not yet heard in heaven in worship will be heard in worship for the first time. That's what we live for. That's what we're passionate about. Folks, 24 people every minute go into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus one time. Let that sink in. 24 a minute. 86% of Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims have never even met a follower of Jesus where they could even hear the gospel. Over 5,000 people groups on planet earth, ranging in the hundreds to the hundreds of thousands, that do not yet have a church in their language, in their culture, on their soil. They, they couldn't find Jesus they wanted to because Jesus is not yet existing in their culture because Jesus' people haven't been there yet with the gospel. This is the work that's yet before us. And I, I want to say this, the gospel is good news, isn't that right? But the gospel, folks, is good news only if it gets there in time. Otherwise, that 24 per minute going to eternity just does not change. So after, after 25, uh, 25 plus years of, of youth ministry and missions mobilization and leading over 50 short-term teams to every continent on earth and, and, and uh, then planting a church right here on the east side of Cleveland, New Song, which matched all of our passions, became a melting pot of ages and races, 35 nationalities worshiping God together in the heights. Uh, you ever have God do one of these? Okay, and it's like, God, I love what I'm doing right now. And I, you know, but God began to stir and he moved us full time into mission work. And we started the Agora Group as a missions nonprofit to begin to reach the nations and to, and to service the nations with the gospel. All right. So, um, so it's um, Agora. What is that? Well, it is actually a word in the Bible. Okay. In Acts 17 17, the Bible says the Apostle Paul was daily in the Agora or daily in the marketplace. Becky and I happen to believe that's where the church ought to be every day. How about you? Daily in the world of business, education, the arts, law, medicine, the people of God, testing positive and making a difference for the kingdom everywhere he sends them. That's the church. And that's our mission on earth. That's taking this gospel, changing the world from, na- from neighbor- neighborhoods to nations. So, so this is what God has us doing. He's given us two very clear mandates. The first mandate, very simply, is reaching tribes and tongues with the gospel. Like, pinch me, I get to do this. We've been praying for unreached people groups for over 30 years, and suddenly God moved us, and the first nation he gave us is the nation of Colombia, not the safest place on the planet. Over 60 years of civil war, dangerous kind of a place, but God gave us a deliberate strategy to train young Colombians from the cities to reach the 80 tribes of Colombia with the gospel. And since 2009, with our partners there in Colombia, I, I, I'm happy to report today we have 30 young missionary, Colombian missionaries. We are working in over 40 tribes of Colombia from the Andes to the Amazon. Last year, we just planted our 500th village church plant in the nation. Hallelujah. The tribes and tongues of Colombia are being reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's crazy to go places where the gospel is brand new. We have to explain to them what it means to be a church. So like the Guajibo tribe up on the Venezuelan border and the jungles up on the Venezuelan border, uh, training young leaders, indigenous leaders that have come to Christ to plant the church in villages where it doesn't exist yet. They have questions. Pastor, pastor, our people want to know. Now that they're Christians, do they still grow cocaine to feed their families? 60 years of civil war, the guerrillas, the FARC, pressure the farmers to grow cocaine to fund their war against the government. If you don't do it, you put your entire extended family at risk. Pastor, pastor, our people want to know, now that they're Christians, if Jesus doesn't heal their daughter, our people want to know, do they still go to the witch doctor? 
I mean, these tribes like the Guahibo. They still believe it's been in their culture and their belief system for generations now. If a woman gives birth to twins, they believe there's something evil about that. And the tribe pressures the parents to kill both babies. Folks, the tribes of the world need Jesus, and God has opened a door for us to work in the nation of Columbia. We now travel, tent and sleeping bag from the Andes to the Amazon. Come on, do I look like a tent and sleeping bag guy to anybody? (laughs) God has a real sense of humor, all right? (laughs) After 50 years, Scouts is finally paying off. Hmm. Why do we do it this way? Because it's cost-effective, it's empowering, it's biblical, and it's working. So we coach these young Colombians like Betty. Betty's a city girl uh, called to the tribe. She now speaks five indigenous languages. Three years ago, she was on a a summer river team with us, uh, going three months remote into a part of the Amazon where the gospel's never been before, among four totally unreached tribes. And while she's among the Makuna tribe with her team, ironically, she finds herself sharing John 3.16 with the young man by the name of Juan. And Juan asked Betty as she's hearing the gospel for the first time in his life, because there had never been anybody on Makuna soil to share the gospel, Betty, how long ago did this man die? Well, it's been over 2,000 years, Juan. And then Juan asked this question, did he die for me too? Of course he did, Juan. Why do you ask? And then Juan said this, Betty, do you mean a man died for me and nobody's ever told me why? Why? I'm happy to report that That trip, Juan and seven of his friends discovered Jesus as Savior and Lord. They were baptized. And now praise is going to the throne of God in Makuna Tongue for the first time in human history. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So uh, on that trip uh, was a young lady by the name of of, um, Vitalia. Vitalia is from the Lake Tuama tribe. Again, gospel had never been on Lake Tuama soil. Uh, She was on that trip because late in her teen years, she left her tribe to begin to work on her Spanish to to, to uh, develop better Spanish speaking skills. She ended up in the southern city of Leticia where we had a young young missionaries on a base and Bejanera and Betty befriended Vitalia, led her to Christ and began to disciple her. And, And Vitalia is saying to us as she's come to faith, she's saying you know what, when I was, when I was a little girl, she said one day I was reading my Spanish to Testament. I remember a dream I had when I was a little girl. She said, in that dream, a man came to me and said, I want you to take care of these. She said, I didn't know who he was. Never seen, I didn't know what they were, some kind of animal I'd never seen in the jungle. But as I was reading my Spanish New Testament, my dream that I had as a little girl finally made sense. The man in my dream was Jesus, and he was asking me to take care of sheep. She was reading John chapter 10. 15 years before she ever heard his name, Jesus was calling Betty to plant the church among her tribe. Today, she has four river congregations, all right, and she's building, and it's just really cool to see what God is doing. Betty was on that trip. Now, God has opened a second nation to us four years ago, the nation of Vietnam. I don't have the time to tell a lot of Vietnam stories, but the gospel is going to the 54 tribes, some of them for the first time as we partner with missionaries in Vietnam. The second mandate that we have, one is reaching tribes and tongues and empowering those closest with the resources that they need to finish the work in their nation. Still 13 totally unreached tribes in the nation of Columbia. We're saying, God, may every tribe in Columbia be reached with the gospel in our lifetime. That's our prayer. But the second mandate is now, as Pastor Steve said, Agora College, all right, right here in Cleveland, Ohio. And Agora College is a residential partner in Cleveland with Ohio Christian University, all right? So let's take a look at this video clip, about 60 seconds. Are you ready to make a difference in this world? 
Ready to live your life on purpose and for Christ? Ready to start or finish your degree? Now you can do all three at the same time. We are Agora College. We are looking for students ready to change their world. Students who will engage the hurting and broken through compassion and love. Students who will roll up their sleeves and serve like Jesus. Take real courses and earn real degrees while participating in domestic and international missions experiences. Grow in God and live His global mission while living and serving in one of the most culturally rich cities in America. Be mentored by Christian leaders in your future profession. Who says you have to wait until after college to make a difference? Work on your degree, discover your destiny, and travel with purpose. Agora College, the world is our campus. At Agora, the world really is our campus as our students, while they're earning their degrees and living residentially in fully furnished two-bedroom apartments, they are working 12 to 15 hours a week right here in the city of Cleveland cross-culturally while they're earning their degrees. Every student spends a month abroad as part of their second semester to grow in God's heart for nations, tribes, and tongues. They may be majoring in business, may be majoring in IT, they may be majoring in human services, they may be majoring in ministry or missions. But our passion is, is that every one of our students links their calling and career track to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So at Agora, we say the world is our campus, and uh, our students are earning associate's degrees, uh, four-year degrees. We now offer 13 majors. It's fully fast for qualified, and, and not only is it fully fast for qualified, but catch this, folks, it's so cost-effective. We're now doing Christian college education, residential, uh, with room, boarded everything in the city of Cleveland for about $15,000 a year. That's less than half the cost of typical Christian college across the United States. And God has opened up a door for us to help families and students to keep their costs down while they earn their degrees so that when God calls them wherever he calls them, they won't be strapped with student debt. Come on, all right? If you have questions about Agora College, if you're a student, a parent, a grandparent, we have a booth out there. We also, every summer in the month of July for three weeks, we take a group of high school and college kids to the Amazon for three weeks. We serve remote in, in the, along the rivers. We serve children. We serve youth. We just have a blast. We disciple. And you can also earn three college credits as a part of that trip. If you're in high school, we'll be waiting for you when you graduate. It's a great missions experience. If you have questions, uh, we'd love to meet with you outside, okay? You ready to get into the Word of God for a few minutes this morning? Let's look in Acts chapter 26 together. It's going to come up on the screen here in just a minute. But let me set the stage. The Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. He has been faithful to God. He, is, uh, he has been uh, arrested. He's on his way to Rome. And as he's moving toward Rome, he's meeting with leaders, and he's being cross-examined. And in Acts 26, he's standing before King Agrippa. And standing before King Agrippa at the beginning of Acts 26, he begins to tell his personal story. He's sharing his testimony, guys, all right? Because everywhere Paul went, if he had a chance to share his testimony, he did it. And he was sharing his story and his story. He was telling about Jesus, all right? He was telling about his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. And we pick up the story in verse 12. And he says to King Agrippa, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, it said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. 
Now get up, Jesus said, stand to your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. If there's one thing I want to be able to say to the Lord at the end of my life, it's simply, God, not disobedient. Everything you put on my plate, everything you put in my heart, may it all be played out for your glory. Oliver Wendell Holmes, former Supreme Court Justice of the United, of the United States, said this, too many men go to, their, go to their graves with their music still inside them. I don't want to be one of those guys. God has put notes in my heart. God has put a plan in my heart. God has put ministry and mission in my heart. And I want it all played out to the glory of God. I want to take a few minutes today to look at a very uh, unusual link to what I think will help us fulfill the Great Commission from neighborhoods to nations. And that's the principle of biblical honoring. I want to talk about those honoring those who have gone before us in the mission of God, honoring those who have gone before us by finishing his work, by doing everything we can to finish his work on planet Earth. It can be a real eye-opener to look um, at, the, uh, at, the, at, this, at passages of Scripture and the Word of God through the lens of biblical honoring and through the Great Commission because the Bible has much to say about honor. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but honor is talked about in Scripture as much as obeying is. Now, how many of you basically grew up in church, all right? Kids, church, you, you okay. Let me ask you a question. Growing up, did you hear more sermons about honoring or about being obedient? Come on now. It was all about obedience all the time. Isn't that right? But the truth of the matter is, in the Word of God, in the top five translations of the Scripture, obedience is talked about 1,081 times. Honoring is talked about 1,094 times. God is into the concept of honor. Honor, when we talk about honor, we're talking about respect. We're talking about splendor. We're talking about bestowing a weight all right, or a value on something or somebody. Biblical honor. Scripture calls us to honor God first. We're also called to honor our parents, that we may live long on the earth. Isn't that right? Scripture calls us to honor leaders and employers and spouses, widows and the elderly. And, and, and um, Peter basically sums up in 1 Peter uh, 2.17, we're pretty much called by God to honor everybody. And I love what Romans 12.10 says this. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, scripture pictures an entire society built, the church built on the principle of mutual honor, a kingdom of honor. And I don't know about you, but there's something incredibly attractive about this to me. And I believe that as a church grows as a culture of honor, it will impact a lost and dying world. I believe it with all my heart. Um, four years ago, we began our work in Vietnam, uh, and it's, it's been amazing, even in Colombia, two years ago, I had the privilege of baptizing the first known believers ever from the Newcock tribe. Now praise is going to the throne of God for the first time in the Newcock tongue. That's a whole other story about how we created a business opportunity with a computer lab on our base where indigenous leaders that were thoroughly not saved, some of them witch doctors, came to our base to learn computer skills. And for two months, and our young missionary said, Here, here's, here's our plan. Here's our goal. Just getting them on our base and being in a culture of faith, 
Maybe while they're here, they'll discover the power of God is greater than the power that the tribal leaders operate under their tribes. Maybe they'll be convicted that Jesus is the way. I'm happy to report today that 19 leaders, God helped us raise the money, got 20 laptops down there for two months. 19 leaders from nine distinct tribes, thoroughly unsaved, spent time in on our base. Out of that, 11 of them came to Christ, hallelujah. We baptized nine of them, some of them, three of them, the first known believers from their tribe. And praise is going to the throne of God in those languages for the first time. Now, fast forward to Vietnam, now four years into the ministry there. And we're, again, we're, tr- we're, we're training those tribes that have the gospel and resourcing them to reach the tribes around them that don't have the gospel yet. And here, here are these young Vietnamese, tribal Vietnamese, and, and a year and a half ago, a couple of them left their tribe and went over to a neighboring tribe and just began to serve and love on people. They helped out with the education system. They helped out with some projects in the villages. They brought in primitive medicines that that, that that tribe had no access to. And about three months into this, here come the communist officials. Oh, no, what's up? These communist officials said to our our brothers, can I say our brothers? Our brothers, we want you to have these. What are these? These are seven permits to build seven churches among this tribe. They said, you know, they said, we know you didn't ask for these, but we like what you're doing. Keep it up. Oh, I think God deserves a clap on that or praise. Isn't that right? In communist Vietnam, that tribe felt honored and served, and Jesus was honored through it all, and it opened a door for the gospel to go to a place where it's never been before. In Scripture, we honor people for character. Isn't that right? Uh, So we honor a Billy Graham for over 90 years of impeccable character in representing Jesus in the kingdom of God. But we also are called to to honor people, Scripture tells us, uh, for their position. So we're to honor presidents, and we're to honor bosses, and we're to honor parents, maybe despite their character. Right? Just because of the position that God has placed the men in our life. Catch this. The Bible does not say give honor where honor is deserved. It says give honor where honor is due. In our culture, we think we don't have to respect them. We don't have to honor them. And we miss out on incredible opportunities to maybe see their heart open to the reality of Christ. So we honor for position. We honor for character. We also are called to honor people for accomplishment. So in Cleveland, Ohio, we honor this guy named LeBron James. He brought a championship to our city. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? He accomplished something. He accomplished for a long, long time. Position, character, accomplishment. We're also called just to honor people for intrinsic value. Every person on this planet made in the image of God and for the glory of God considered worthy of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, no matter what their current lifestyle is. As we honor and show value and serve the lost, I believe we can pave the way for others to have an extraordinary encounter with God. Honor builds a highway to the heart of that husband, that father, that boss, that tribal leader that the Holy Spirit can use to gain access and opportunity. When we were with our young missionaries of Italia, the young missionary said to Vitalia, you need to tell Randy and Becky the rest of the story. I said, Vitalia, what's up? And she said, well, well when, before I was born, my dad, a powerful witch doctor in our Leituama tribe, told my mom, if it's not a little boy, do not even bother bringing it home. And in that tribe, in the surrounding tribes, women 
go into the jungles. When it's time to deliver, they go in all alone. They give birth. They go back to the village with the baby, and the whole village celebrates. And when it's time to deliver, Natalia's mom went into the jungle, gave birth, saw it was a little girl, dutifully obeyed her husband, and left that little girl for the wild animals. Fortunately, an ant got to Natalia before the animals did and raised her. Two years ago, Natalia baptized her father. And today he calls her pastor. What happened? Somehow Vitalia found a way to keep the wound clean, to not let gangrene enter her soul, bitterness over the rejection. Somehow she found a way, despite the rejection, to honor her dad and serve her dad and love her dad. And the Holy Spirit used that as access and a highway to open this man's heart to consider the claims of Jesus. And today he is our brother in Christ because of honor and service. Honor and serving are two ways, hear me, that all of us can engage the lost in our world from neighborhoods to nations. Honor and service are two ways that all of us can make a difference in our world and partner with God to finish his work on planet earth. Let me ask you today, who in your world can you begin to honor and serve just to see what God might do? Who in your world have you said, their life's a mess, they don't deserve it, they drive me crazy, they've messed me over? But maybe today God is going to speak to you and say, that person, I want you to just begin to love on them. I just want you to serve them. I want you to honor them and see what I might do in their heart. Biblical honor is all about value, folks. What we value, we honor. To see and live life through the lens of honor influences our attitudes toward people and tribes and tongues, influences our feelings toward missions, tribes and tongues, influences our behaviors toward people, the lost, when honor is extended, people feel accepted, they feel appreciated, they feel affirmed, they feel acknowledged. From a godly Billy Graham to a, a totally pagan tribal witch doctor, catch this, when we honor one another, we honor God. When we serve others, we're honoring God. When we reach out to others despite their current station in life, we are honoring the God who made us and saved us. And in our text, yeah, we were going to get back there sooner or later. In our text, honoring is everywhere. Paul has honored God with his life and now will honor him soon with his martyrdom being beheaded on the Appian Way outside of Rome. And today we honor the Apostle Paul for all things, for character, all three things, for his accomplishment and for his position as a great apostle. Now Herod Agrippa II, the Herod in this story, he's a whole other story, all right? He's the son of Herod Agrippa I, who bitterly persecuted the Christians in Acts chapter 12, who was the son of Herod Antipas, who murdered John the Baptist, who was the son of Herod the Great, who murdered all the baby boys when Jesus was born, all right? This Herod, the Herod in this passage, he's the last of the Herods. He is a, he is a ruthless dictator persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He is in an incestuous relationship with his own sister. How do you honor something like that? And yet Paul approaches this Herod with respect for his position. In this passage, he bestows upon him titles of honor. Looking beyond Herod's life of privilege and persecution, I believe Paul was saying, I know the image of God is in there someplace. I know there's intrinsic value. I know that Jesus died for this man. Because of Paul's passion and call to change his world, and to take the gospel everywhere he was sent. I believe Paul was more, more concerned about the salvation of his captors 
than he was the removal of his own chains. Paul was more concerned about the salvation of his captors than he was about his own current circumstances. He was more concerned about the salvation of his captors than he was his comfort, than he was his safety. Catch this. I believe Paul was more concerned about the salvation of people than he was his own standard of living. That came first. Paul's faithful witness and honor, I believe, read between the lines, began to open Herod's heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. As Herod said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you're going to persuade me to be a follower of Jesus? But I think he got him thinking because of the way he approached the man. And Paul put lost people as a higher priority than his own safety, circumstances, and standard of living. And you know what? Jesus, folks, was honored through it all. Jesus was honored through it all. As I think about biblical honor and honoring those who have gone before us, obviously there are remembrances of loved ones who have preceded us and are with the Lord today. But also I'm thinking about those who have raised the bar and set the pace in this thing called the mission of God. And we have to start with Jesus. I mean, the first missionary, he left the culture of heaven to come to the culture of earth. Isn't that right? With good news. And we honor him today. Even at age 12, catch this. This is a whole other thing, but you want to help junior high kids in your church? What did Jesus say at age 12? I must be about my father's business. Something was instilled in him before he hit the middle school years that he realized he had a relationship with a father beyond his earthly father. And that that father had a business, that he had a place to play in it. If we can help young people understand that they have a relationship with a heavenly father that's just longing to love them and lead them, and that he has a place for them in his work, that they have purpose with him, we do a lot to help them navigate the teen years. So Jesus was convinced at 12, I gotta be about my father's business. He started his ministry by saying, my meat, my food, that which sustains me and satisfies me is to do the work of him who sent me and to finish his work. He was all about doing the work and finishing the work. At the end of his ministry, he's praying in the garden. He said, Father, I've done all you've asked me to do to finish your work. And how do we, that's how the son honored the father by doing his will and finishing his work. How do we best honor father and son today? By doing everything we can, church, everything within our power to finish his work on planet earth. Those 5,000 plus languages that are not yet heard in heaven, that's on us. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is the body of Christ today. That's on us, and we get to do this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached, Jesus said, as a, as a witness to every tribe and tongue, and then the end will come. Anybody besides me want to see the end come? Huh? Let's finish the work. Let's finish the work, all right? We honor the apostle Paul today as one who's gone before us. Very simply, I honor Paul today for keeping the main thing the main thing. And he was able to say at the end of his life before King Agrippa, not disobedient, king, not disobedient, I've done everything Jesus put on my plate to do, be a part of finishing his work on planet Earth. And one day, you know what? Paul's going to stand before another king. And his name's Jesus. Everybody able to say, Jesus, by your grace, not disobedient. And hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Truth is, folks, that one day every one of us in this room will stand before that throne. 
And as we are in Christ today, anybody in Christ today and thankful about it? Aren't you glad you're in Christ today? Hallelujah. As we are in Christ today, thank God, as we stand before that throne, it won't be about left or right, heaven or hell. That's already been settled. Hallelujah. But each and every one of us will stand before that one throne one day and give an account of how we, le- how we leverage time, talent, and treasure, the resources, and the call of the Great Commission on all of our lives. We'll stand before that, that throne and give an account of how we leverage the things God gave us to accomplish his one big dream of every nation, tribe, and tongue and worship around the throne. And the truth is, is that every person on the planet, saved and unsaved, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, I think every person on the planet leverages the resources that they have been allotted to, to do what's most important to them. And I ask us today, what's most important to us? As you move into missions, giving, and faith promises and commitments, what's most important to us? And how are we leveraging what God has blessed us with to bring, out, bring about the conclusion of what's most important to him? And not just those who have gone before us, Paul, Jesus, but also missionaries through history. We don't have time to get into all this, but I think of the Waldensians during the Dark Ages, a community of faith buried deep in the Alps Mountains. And God stirred in their hearts as they read the New Testament. And they began to commit sending teams of their young people to dark pagan Europe where the gospel had never been before. You know what they did for those young people? Before they sent them out, they held their funerals. Because they didn't know what part of dark pagan Europe they would ultimately lay down their lives for Christ. I think of the Moravians and that incredible movement, a prayer meeting from one church in Eastern Europe, a prayer meeting that went on for 110 years, 24-7. It never ended, and the sole purpose of that prayer meeting was the fulfillment of the Great Commission. No wonder they, every one out of every 12 church members ended up in full-time mission work. I think of William Carey called the founder of modern missions. He's just a 20-something guy reading his New Testament was stirred to go to India and take the gospel. He went to a group of pastors in his area in England. He was a shoemaker. And he said, uh, God's called me to India to be a missionary. You know what they said? They said, sit down, young man. God doesn't need your help. If he wants to reach India, he'll do it all by himself. Thank you very much. Praise God, William Carey did not take that as God's final answer. He went to a group of friends. And he said this to his friends. He said, if you hold the rope, I'll descend into the darkness. Folks, next week, you're going to have an opportunity to hold a rope for missionaries that this church is committed to all over the world as they descend into the darkness. So I think of these that have gone before us in the mission of God, but beyond them, I think of missionaries that, are, that have gone before us. Right now, they're doing the work of God all over the world. And um, I think of, of a young man named Emilio in our ministry, November of 2010, Emilio and six of his friends asked us, they just said, can we have $50 for gas? And they said, we need $50 for gas for. We want to power a boat further into the Amazon region than the gospel's ever made it before. No brainer. We gave them the 50 bucks. And along the way, they were stopped by the gorillas by the FARC. The demand was very simple. Give us your gasoline. But Emilio very humbly said as he stood up as the leader of the team, sorry, we can't give you our gasoline. It's not ours to give. It's been given to take the gospel, the message of Jesus, up a river where it's never been heard before. Emilio was shot and killed on the spot. He became the first martyr in our ministry. I'm thinking Emilio is just 50 stinking bucks for gasoline, but for Emilio it was another hindrance from the 24 per minute not hearing the name of Jesus for the first time. Shots were fired, the gorillas left, the other six buried Emilio in a muddy river bank and went on to finish the mission. One year to the exact month, I'm in the Me Too region where Emilio was martyred. 
we're there for two reasons. We have 29 young leaders from seven distinct tribes that we're training, praying with, and strategizing for a week. But we're also there to verify the details of Emilio's martyrdom. The second day of this conference, in walks a young lady I'd never met before. It was Emilio's widow. She was carrying a baby boy. She was eight months pregnant when her husband laid down his life for Christ. And I thought in that moment of, I just said, how can we pray for you? And I, you think of all the prayer requests a young lady could have in that situation. And she blew me away when she said through an interpreter, please pray that the little church my husband and I started in our village and I will recover the courage to reach our entire tribe with the gospel. It's in moments like that, folks, that it's really who's learning from who right now. I said, we will pray that way. And I said, by the way, what did you name your baby boy? She said, oh, his name is Emmanuel. I thought, a month after her husband buried in a muddy riverbank for her faith, she's naming her baby boy, God is with us. God will help us. With God, we can finish the work. With God, we can get the job done among the Cubeo tribe. We can get this done. Because God is with us. I think now, seven, eight years later, that little baby boy running across the grass in between the huts in his village, and mama's calling, Emmanuel, it's time to come home. Emmanuel, and it's a reminder every time to the whole village that God is with us. God will help us. With God's help, we can finish the work. She honors her husband and her Lord by doing everything she can to finish the work, the part of the job that God has given her on planet earth until every nation, tribe, and tongue has the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, the grandstands of heaven are watching us today and watching us during this missions convention. And how do we best honor Jesus and those who have gone before us in the mission of God? How do we best honor Jesus over the weeks of this missions convention? By doing everything we can to finish his work on planet Earth. The grandstands of heaven are watching us. Jesus is watching. Paul is watching. Emilio is watching. And, and as we wrap up the service, I turn it over to Pastor in just a minute. Don't turn me off, all right? I'd like to conclude with the words of a song that a friend of mine wrote a long, long time ago. When he penned these words, we've been raised for such a time. History comes to the finish line. And the saints who've gone before to watch us see, watch us in our course. Here's the course. I'm abandoned to the captain of the mighty hosts of heaven. And I pledge him my allegiance until the earth beholds his kingdom. Second verse, so lay aside each weight that binds and enter in the harvest time until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Christ. I'm abandoned to the captain of the mighty host of heaven and I pledge him my allegiance, no holds barred, holding nothing back until the whole earth beholds his kingdom. My, my prayer today is that this strategic church has been raised up in this hour in the city of Cleveland, but for the nations. My prayer is that Willoughby Hill's friends will grow as a culture of honor and that Willoughby Hill's friends will honor our King, Jesus, by doing everything it can to finish his work on planet Earth.
Father, we thank you for this time in your word today, and I thank you for this precious body of believers. Thank you for Pastor Steve and Sheila and the new leadership you've given to this church with a heart for the nations, God. God, I pray that every one of us in this room would know through this missions convention of what it means personally to be able to say one day, Jesus, not disobedient. I did the part that you asked me to play in fulfilling your great commission on planet Earth. I pray for Pastor Steve and this leadership team that you will guide them in the months and weeks, weeks and months and years to come to take Willoughby Hills to a whole new level of global impact for your glory. I pray that you open doors of ministry from Cleveland to the nations that no man can shut. We bless them today in Jesus' name, and I ask God in this week that you will speak to people, everybody in this congregation, because next week when they come together, when everybody does something together, they can do a great thing to fulfill your great commission. I bless them today in Jesus' name.